0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Buddhist Centre Podcast with me, Chandra Dasa. I'm very, very happy to be coming to you from yet another new place for me in Triratna. I'm here in the county of Somerset in England, visiting one of the newest major projects in the Triratna Buddhist community around the world. And certainly for me, one of the most intriguing, even exciting, which is Alfoxton House. We're going to hear a lot more about what that is in a minute. And we're here particularly to have a conversation with our friend Hartley Wolfe, who is a filmmaker part of the residential community here who's made a really beautiful film about this project and in a way about the spiritual life like what it is to lead a buddhist life in the 21st century and he's here with some of his friends from the community to talk about their experience of this project so welcome Hartley thank you thank you for agreeing to talk to us about your film thanks so much it's a privilege I was really lucky. I saw your film in advance of most people. At a big tree on a meeting in the summer. Jaya Raja, who's also with us, we'll meet in a minute, showed it to us on a meeting. And I was really struck by the film. I thought it was very beautiful. I have to confess, actually, when I went along first, I wasn't particularly looking forward to it. <laughs> no, nothing personal. I was tired. <laughs> We'd been in meetings all day. And it was the evening activity, you know, that way. And you're just kind of like, ah, OK, we're going to go to the <laughs> session. But actually, within about 20 minutes, I was really engrossed in this film. I was saying to you earlier, it reminded me a lot of a film called *Integrate Silence, which is about some residential monks in the Christian tradition who live in silence together. And like that film, with your film, I felt that through the course of it, something emerged that was more than just the story of this project. It really captured something about what draws people to the Dharma life. So congratulations. I thought it was a lovely film. I'm interested in hearing what it was like for you to come to a new project yourself, presumably to explore Buddhism for yourself, and then to find yourself also making a movie.
1: Yes, I came here to Al-Foxon for a number of reasons. To experience Buddhist community life for the first time and to contribute to the al project. And, you know, it was known that I was a filmmaker and pretty soon Raja was saying, so Hartley, when are you going to start filming? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was always maybe an unspoken condition of my, <laughs> of my presence here yes that was a tension at the heart of the project the whole way through for me because i was constantly moving between these roles of trying to remain part of the community and you know there with the guys on a level with everybody but also putting on my filmmaker's hat and looking at things through the glass at the zoo <laughs> sometimes you know just like looking at things unfolding and looking at people and what's happening here and thinking oh that would be a great moment to capture for the film so that in itself was a challenge which i just winged my way through really Well, we're going to come back in a minute to talk about,
0: I suppose, the journey for you from the filmmaking to a final edit, which I know had quite a lot in it. Jan Raja, you in a way commissioned the film and Mm -hmm. you're heading up this particular project. Maybe give us a sense of what it is you think Hartley was doing, (laughs) what it is he was trying to capture. What is it you'd like to see people take away from
2: the film? When Hartley first came... I knew he was a filmmaker. I was really kind of, oh, fantastic, because actually I'd been looking on work away for a filmmaker right, really. because I think it is such a privileged position of the house where William Wordsworth once lived with his sister Dorothy, where the first reading of The Rime of the Ancient Mariner took place. And it's in the hands of the Tree Ratna Buddhist Order, or at least the trust that owns it. So it feels like a huge responsibility and I better do my best for it, <laughs> as in... We should get somebody to make a movie of this. And even though I didn't necessarily know the skill that Hartley had, Hartley was supposed to be making a film in Mexico, but because of COVID he couldn't. And then he said, oh, can I come back to you? So just asking him, well, will you start? And now you mention it, it's, oh yes, that was resistance I was coming up against, but I wasn't wanting to see it. (laughs) So this is a historical house
0: oh, it's, Historical it's, house. it's oddly ended up in our hands yeah. to be the kind of custodians of it and mm-hmm. hopefully in a way to bring it back to life in a new way, to animate it with the spirit of poetry, of yeah. dharma of yeah. reality. Julia, you are one of the newer members of the community here. Were yeah. you here when Hartley made the film? Or? I wasn't no, I've only yeah.
3: been here for three weeks actually. Yeah, hey, there you yeah. go. Yeah.
0: So I'm really interested has seeing the film shaped how you've experienced the place? What's your mm-hmm. impression been of living here and watching Harley's movie.
3: Yeah, so we watched it a week or two ago. I'd already been here for like a week or so and seen the bits that tie the pictures that I'd seen on Workaway together. Workaway is like a thing where you can uh, apply to do volunteering. And so seeing the film, it was like, I recognized all the people, I'd met these people, I'd seen the site, I'd seen all the places. So I wasn't approaching the film from fresh eyes. The film felt like quite a poetic, lens to this place that i have been living more like day-to-day doing some practical tasks and yet it was sort of saying isn't this so beautiful even just like doing some plastering or something isn't that so meditative and and so it was really nice to watch the film and then go back to my day-to-day tasks and the day-to-day conversations and be just appreciate it more and especially when I went on walks and I'd come back and it felt like this is my home for the moment and that was really beautiful Felt really grateful to be a part of this. So I approached the project, It said, you know, this is a Buddhist community. And I thought, well, I'm not a Buddhist. But I knew that the teachings that I had been introduced to previously from Buddhism aligned a lot with my own worldviews, the things that I have been pondering. And coming here, you have in the morning a Dharma input from one of the order members, which would be a teaching that you can then sort of reflect on throughout the day. That has been a really useful part of living here for me. It's been like every day you're reflecting and that's a useful drive throughout the day to grow. And you don't have to be a Buddhist to really engage with these ideas in a way that feels personal and useful. That's
4: been something I would say to people, basically, yeah.
0: And Francesca is also with us today. You've been at the community longer, about a year, I think.
4: Yes, I speak in the we a lot because I'm here with my husband, Mark. We've been together 52 years, so he's very much part of me. So we started visiting just after September last year, and we came a couple of days a week to volunteer because we were living about 20 miles away. We then, at the beginning of the year, started staying a week here and a week in Wellington, which is where the bungalow was. And then at the beginning of the year, we asked if we could stay here for a longer period. And after some deliberation and going to the Monday night meetings with the order meeting, they came back and said, Yes, we'd love to have you for six months. So we then found ourselves a living van so that we could have a bedroom because we had been using the cottage and felt that we were taking up a very useful resource for other visitors. So we moved in at the beginning of March into our van and we've been here ever since.
0: And so you were here, I think, for some of the filmmaking itself, right? Yes, and, right towards the end. Yeah, and you've also obviously seen the film now. Yes. I'm interested in how both bits of that affected your experience of being here and how's the way the film captures the place resonate
4: with your own sense of it? The film is really honest. Having been here in the dirt and the grime and the cold, it's depicted throughout the making of the film. Hartley captured it really beautifully. There's humour intertwined with Dharma and what we're hoping to achieve here. I didn't see it until i have been here quite a while, but it was just really nice seeing the people who were still here and those that had come through. And it gave me a huge sense of admiration for the project and the people that have been right since the beginning and how they've kept it going, they've kept the energy, they've kept the vision. The way they've created the community in such a way that people can just drop in and drop out As Julia said, you feel that energy the minute you're here. We had people come last night and they said, we didn't know what to expect, but it's brilliant already. We've only been here a few hours. So that whole family that's been created here, we've ranged in age from 18 to 72. So we've got a huge age range. I did feel at times earlier in the spring, I was the only female around, which was quite interesting. But the film shows how it was and how it's becoming I don't know what the buildings looked like before I came, but I can see the progress that's been made since I've been here in the last 12 months. And I understand before that, again, it was absolutely awful. And when you see upstairs with the holes in the ceiling and, you know, holes in the floor and the water, the progress that's being made day by day is just magnificent.
0: I'm really struck listening to that description, Hartley. I'm wondering if there's any metaphors going on here in terms (laughs) of your personal experience. It's really interesting to hear from that, in a way at first you weren't really sure about being here. And then you land here in the midst of a really extraordinary time anyway, with the pandemic. I'm assuming that as well as documenting other people's spiritual lives and trying to be part of the community, you're also sort of documenting your own spiritual life, right? Your own journey, whatever that means. Mm. Something's coming through. I don't know mm. if you had holes on the roof or holes on the floor. Mm. But what was that aspect like for you, the process of filmmaking as practice?
1: Uh, <laughs> that feels like an enormous question, but a really, really pertinent one. Julia, when you were talking about your impressions of the film, you were already talking about how you got a sense of the beauty and the dharma, I suppose, in the work that we're doing here. For example, you mentioned the plastering and the of of that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it really makes me glad to hear you say that because that's what I saw in the work Mm. as well. We have a general ethos here, Raja talks about it very well, of work as practice which is something you might want to say a bit okay. about later, but the building work that we're doing here is being a context for our dharmic practice as a community. So that was very important to me to capture. But with regards to like filmmaking as dharma practice, I think the main way I would answer that question is the effect that bringing a camera into the situation and taking on this role of being a filmmaker and capturing the Al Foxton story, the effect that that had on my relationships with the people in the community. Because as soon as you bring a camera into a situation, especially with somebody that you know very well, it really has a very strong impact on the dynamic, or it can do. Suddenly you're bringing this thing in which a lot of the time is not wanted, or is quite unwelcome, you know. Francesca, you were talking about the honesty of the film, which I'm really, thank you for saying that. From an ethical point of view, wanting to capture things which I felt were very important to the R. Foxton story, but which people wouldn't necessarily have been comfortable with me filming, or might not have felt comfortable with the idea of it being included in a film, that was maybe a bit more of an issue in the early stages of the film, I suppose, before the guys in the community had maybe a bit more of a sense of my general mindset and approach with the whole thing. As time went on, I earned, I think, the community's trust a lot more. So that ethical position of, okay, you know, these are people that I really care hugely about, but here's a story I want to tell. Here is what I perceive to be the reality, the truth of the Al Foxton story and wanting to capture that. In a sensitive, compassionate way. Hmm. And how much (laughs) did that
0: story that you wanted to tell change through the experience of being in the community and actually something else emerging? I know you've gone through different edits of the film and Mm. even just the act of editing a single story down from months and months and months of life and practice. How set did the story feel for you and how much emerged?
1: Oh, it it entirely emerged. The only thing that I knew from the very beginning was that I wanted the film to follow the seasons. So I wanted a year in Alfoxton. As to what kind of form the final thing would take, I was just sort of like waiting to see what would happen. I mean, I was recording interviews with people in the community, but for most of the filming process, I wasn't sure until I actually started editing whether or not the interviews would be included in the final film, because I wanted it to be very observational and patient. You know, I ended up deciding to include the interviews because I thought there was just a very direct way of telling the nuts and bolts of the Al Foxen story in a way that I thought was important. And again, that's for me, that's what I love about documentary making. It's... A process of discovery really more than a process of creation or well, maybe equally if that doesn't sound too pretentious <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it's a big responsibility right for people's lives for friends the fact that other people are becoming your friends i don't know how usual that is in a long-term documentary process but mm-hmm. living in, as part of a community where the whole ethos is about friendship that is the practice That must be quite challenging for you to bring that into a relationship with your friends to ask them to trust you in a way, to ask them to cede sometimes to your creative vision as well and your judgment. I'm wondering if anybody else was aware of that process.
2: <laughs> I was definitely aware, obviously, in any relationship. There's tensions at times. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, Hartley wants to interview me. <laughs> I kind of feel there's a bit of friction between us at the moment. <laughs> when you were filming, I thought you were very skilled at doing an interview. It was like you put your bias aside and you were just enabling, well, me and I think the others as well. There's a quality of listening you brought That drew out naturalness Despite the situation in each of us You know, that was interviewed And I I think the interviews really add something to it You know, I feel very moved when I see Some interviews like with Ben or with David Or Indropody You know, you shot over about a year Pretty much once a week or maybe a bit more You were shooting So there must be masses of footage (laughs) And you've got to cut it down So when I, the final version I was, you know, yeah, that's brilliant I remember going for a walk with (laughs) Harley before he was going to show the first edit which was just under two hours the first edit and we were walking and I sort of sent him look people are going to feel strongly about this and they're going to give you feedback and they're only giving you feedback about them they're not giving you any feedback about the quality of the film because I was sort of thinking whatever it was I would be fine with it but I was the most (laughs) ardent about no that you did no that story shouldn't be in there because there was like lots of threads of stories and uh, the I could really feel for you because there were some beautiful things in the director's cut, beautiful images, and it was obviously, look, that's a pet avenue of you, Holly, it's not the main story. And we kind of tussled over that a little bit, but I really appreciated, you know, I could really feel for you because it was something beautiful, but it didn't fit with what I saw as the main story. Mm. And then, well, I've said it, and ideally it needs to be this long and whatever, just in order to be able to get it out there. But I think in the end, your receptivity to that and your openness to let go of some of the things that were beautiful. and then But to nail the story in the way that you did, the thread of the seasons and the thread of friendship and playfulness and, and struggles as well, I, I thought, it's, you know, it's, fun. It's, it's beautifully shot. It's interesting, some bits that have been cut that uh, some people who have seen previous versions, just so said, oh, that was my favourite bit. <laughs> I need
0: to wait for the 6 hour Peter Jackson oh, version yeah. that will come out someday. That, <laughs>
4: that night, though, because we had quite a full house, and yeah. I was in on that first viewing, yeah. and I really, really felt for you. Mm-hmm. I admired your honesty to him, mm-hmm. but there's a bit of me thinking, gosh, talk about Critical Parent. My judgment back <laughs> came on, because it was like, well, you can't have that one in there, and that doesn't belong, and this doesn't belong. And at the end of it, I think I said something along the lines, Hartley, we all love you. We really, really appreciate what you've done. Mm. And I think we all ended up with a big hug at the end yeah, of the session. <laughs> <laughs> because I, just felt, I really felt that it was like his baby was being pulled to bed <laughs> and almost thrown out with the bathwater. You know, there were bits of it that were just going to go. And mm. it was, oh, I, it felt really painful to me, that mm. critique that you gave him. Mm-hmm. but i was able to voice it and we had a nice hug at the end
1: I, I will never forget that evening <laughs> for as long as i live yeah it, it was in a uh, good way you won't forget it in a good way Both. it was an extremely difficult night yeah and i learned a hell of a lot about being attached i mean it's a bit of a cliche really in filmmaking to be very attached to your footage and to find it difficult to cut out from an edit and that's often why i feel frustrated at editing something that like i've shot i always prefer to work with other people but I'd certainly really appreciated, yes, your honesty, Raja, and everybody else's honesty and, and directness, and but also what you said, Francesca, and, and everybody. It was hard, but I felt so supported. I mean, talk about lessons in impermanence and attachment. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it sounds like, in a way, you both,
0: <clears throat> Jayaraja, both you, and partly you got to a place that you could live with, with the final edit, and it's interesting, Julia, listening to you mm-hmm. respond to that, and actually presumably getting what it is you were trying to do with the film. I was watching you smile as Julie was speaking, <laughs> thinking, you must have got something right. <laughs> Someone who missed the whole thing, the whole process, mm-hmm. wasn't in the group hug, just
2: watched it and got it. I was going to say, after the first screening, I, I was in tears. You know, it was I was so moved. And uh, I just saw how this is potentially... Amazing. It's much more than I'd anticipated. I thought, well, let's see. And I I had taken you for a walk thinking I'll be kind of quite cool about it. But actually, it really captures something of the community and, and the struggles. So, yeah, enormously grateful to you for the quality of the filming and for the quality of the edit and the receptivity in creating... I think uh, really does capture something of the spirit mm. of this place.
3: Mm. I remember one of the other workaways, Paul said, You know, it's like an actual film. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a proper film. And it's, it's weird because you, you go into watching something you don't know what to expect.
0: When you hear stuff about the process that you <clears throat> missed, does it. Mm. What is, well, what I,
3: I feel in a sense like I want to watch all that other footage as well. <laughs> I do feel that, I mean, for me, everything's subjective, but the film could have been longer. <laughs> I could have watched about this place all day. You know? So, but you know, I think, I think it had a completeness to it that a lot of people said, yeah, it was perfect length, but you're always gonna get, <laughs> Sorry, is that, have I touched a the nerve
1: no, no, <laughs> I feel like I want, to, I want to claim a victory there, Jaya Raja. <laughs> <laughs>
3: because,
1: because when Jaya Raja was giving me suggestions for how yeah, to shorten okay. the film, one of the things you said a couple of times was people never say that a film could be longer.
3: <laughs> you always say it could be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> <I> <laughs> when, guess, you, yeah.
1: when you sell it to Netflix, you can, you can have a, <laughs> a special I love edition. Love
3: yeah. <laughs> I love the stillness of those moments that I just feel could have dragged on forever yeah. and I would have just watched it and soaked yeah. it all up. I think, again, it would have been different Watching it for somebody who hasn't lived here, maybe. So that would be really interesting. I don't know, I haven't talked to anyone. But because I've lived here well, for a while, yeah,
4: it's incredible. Yeah, I think the other element was that you commissioned Ben to do the music yeah. with his group of musicians. Mm. And I also felt for them that first evening, because they'd spent all weekend mm. getting this score, mm. go with the film. Mm. And then they were told, well, actually, that's going to go and that's mm. going to go. And it was like, oh, god, Because the music was just so beautifully intertwined. Mm. With some of those nature scenes of the trees and the mushrooms and the leaves. And the music was just absolutely exquisite, the mm. way it all mm-hmm. gelled together, knitted together. It was really beautiful. I mean,
1: that in itself, you know, if there's time to talk about it, it would be a wonderful thing to talk about. The music making itself was just, was, for me, it was such a meaningful and beautiful process. So Ben is, he's kind of a satellite member of our community. He'll come and stay for brief stints and get involved with the work and stuff, but he does a lot of work away as well. And he's a musician He works in music education. So I went to him and said, look, will you work with me to compose original music for the film. And he was obviously well up for it. Um, and he's very well connected. He knows a lot of fantastic musicians, a lot of whom have been here. In fact, the music retreat, which features in the documentary, is when a lot of the musicians who created the music for the film, that's when they came to Alfoxen for the first time. So not only you know did we have the privilege of working with a group of very talented musicians, but actually musicians, all of whom, or most of whom at least, already had their own intimate connections with Alfoxen Foxton as well. So we took over this room that we're in right now the oak panelled room in the main house and turned it into a recording studio for the weekend and it became this beautifully sacred space that we would come into each morning and the work that Ben and I did initially before we brought the musicians together we tried going through a process of composing in a bit more kind of like formal literal way music for the different scenes that I brought to him but very quickly, that wasn't really working because he would try something and I'd be like, oh, no, that's not quite it. So he'd try something else and then I'd be like, oh, no, that's not really, you know. So eventually we thought, okay, look, new approach. And so Ben brought this really interesting approach of using graphic scores, which rather than doing traditional notation on a stave, it's more you kind of illustrate in a literal way, on a piece of paper, an indication of the timeline. And you just sort of use different ways of marking the general energy of the piece and where different instruments might come in and stuff like that. So it's just a different way of approaching, but a much more fluid, spontaneous improvisational way. So we would come in here, we'd, we'd play the clip that we're gonna create some music for, the guys would watch it. And sometimes we'd already have an idea, like Ben might already have a chord sequence for us to build upon. Or, for example, the the scene involving the cats I don't want to give too much away to people who haven't seen the film, um, but the scene... Uh, but there are cats. But there are cats. <laughs> <laughs> Another Wonderful. reason to watch Wonderful cats. <laughs> when we created the music for that scene, there were five musicians, I think, five or six, and we played that scene over and over, and each time we watched it, each of the musicians would take their turn in playing musically, their interpretation of the scene while we were watching it, and they would play along. So everyone would take a turn, and then afterwards we'd talk about what, we thought worked best and so then we kind of chose a starting point and built from there so it was very organic improvisational spontaneous and an experience a process in its own right it wasn't just an attachment to the film it was its own amazing thing
0: mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing hearing that <laughs> that description of people working i made a joke earlier about peter jackson making a six-hour version of your film and in a way i would sit like <clears> usually <you, Julie, throat> i would sit and watch the outtakes of mm-hmm. People who are as skilled as that and who are bringing so much love to that sort of project finding their way through it. The thing oh. of people making sketches before they make the famous masterwork and you see the sketches <laughs> and it's got a fluidity and an energy to it. I personally love that. And I suppose it seems really fitting John Roger, particularly in this room, the, the oak panelled room, the, the room where Coleridge first read The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, super famous moment in English romantic poetry and English history, in a way. What is it like... To hear and, well, to witness live creative artistic process happening when there's such a strong connection in our particular community between the spiritual life and the artistic creative life. To know that you're kind of trying to curate a project for all that to come back to life again.
2: Mm. Well, one of the the strongest things is feeling, how come this has landed with me? (laughs) I don't see myself as particularly artistic. I'm very much into poetry and actually... uh, the Wordsworth poem, Lines Composed Above Tintan Abbey, is a poem that I'd started to learn some years ago. You know, I loved it so much. So, you know, to find myself here where William Wordsworth lived, it just feels a bit daunting in some ways. But I, I also feel like for Sangharakshtar, Sangharakshtar is the founder of the triratna Ratna Buddhist Order that I'm ordained in. He was a great lover of the Romantic poets. In fact, he was a great lover of Coleridge. I don't know how he felt about Wordsworth, but I know in some of his lectures he talked about Coleridge being one of the greatest minds. So he died in 2018 and we got ownership of this place in 2020. And I I very much feel his spirit here. In some ways, you know, it might sound a bit hippie or something. It's almost like, why did he choose me (laughs) to be fronting this project and I sort of think I've got some of the qualities but there's so many of the qualities that I don't have for doing this and uh, I was really taken recently where I was reading something where to himself was sort of saying he felt like the most unsuitable person to be setting up a new Buddhist order but he found himself in that <laughs> position and I find myself in that position of sort of thinking uh you know having to learn you know Steep learning curves on fire alarm systems or uh, sewage systems, and at the same time you know welcoming pilgrimages in poetry and talking about you know the significant so it 's kind of like my brain feels stretched in many different directions
0: huh. yeah. Family, you should mention San San was actually buried four years ago today mm-hmm. this evening. Mm. And I was just thinking when you were talking there, if his ghost was hanging out at any particular place in Turan, I would almost certainly be <laughs> this one. I think partly because of the connection to Coleridge and an area of the arts that he really loved and that he thought had a lot in common with the kind of internal dynamics of living a spiritual life. Mm. But also because this is the latest in a long tradition of quite large-scale, evolving projects in at the London Buddhist Centre, I've heard people compare this to the early days of that project, where people just came together, formed community, built a place with kind of nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was the whole thing was knit together by the magic of their connection, by friendship and stuff. Mm-hmm. I can see you nodding, Francesca.
4: I think that's very much... I'm going to say that's one of the things that drew us to being here is that it's people and nature... And then having arrived and found out all about Wordsworth and Coleridge, and the joy of being able to share it with people walking by, you know, they walk by along the Coleridge rain you can see them looking, you said, well, would you like to come and see a bit more? Would you like to come up to the oak tree? Would you like to come? And they're just so delighted that they can be part of the history that we live day in, day out, which feels really, really important, being part of the wider community, sharing what we have with them.
0: mm mm-hmm. It's a real gift that it's now open to the world again yeah. and you're yeah. such good guardians and custodians yeah. of that. Before we finish this conversation, I would love to hear about the oak tree. Tell people about the oak tree.
3: Yeah, so the first day I got here, Joe just said, you've got to go pay your, well, I don't know quite what you said. Respects. Respect, yeah, <laughs> pay respects to the oak tree. So I got here with a workaway, another workaway. And we went up there sort of, nestled in the in the woods and we laid on the ground and just looked up at this humongous Mm. presence of a beautiful oak tree with a huge trunk that we were spotting patterns in and yeah you you just felt blessed by it and it was a really nice way to settle in yeah beautiful how old is it
2: different estimations of the age but i think it's between 900 and a thousand years old
0: it was interesting talking to you, Hartley. before this I'm not going to give away any secrets But you were saying to me, as a filmmaker You were slightly arced That the most popular picture On your Instagram feed Was people sitting under the tree And I totally get why that is But I was kind of pushing back a bit and saying Well, you're in a Buddhist tradition, what do you want? Like the central image is people sitting under a tree And there is There is something very beautiful about that There's the oak-panelled room Uh-huh what human beings do with a beautiful 900-year-old tree. And then there's the oak tree itself as the kind of presiding spirit. And that was one of the things about the film that I thought you got really well. And again, it, maybe it resonates with that question earlier about your internal sense of practice as well as capturing other people's practice. There's an internal sense and an external sense of what was going on here. And it's almost like the wood in this room echoes with the life of the oak trees in the forest outside. How long did it take you to tune in to that aspect of this place, this landscape, this architecture? And how does that affect your own practice?
1: <laughs> yeah, again, that feels like an enormous question, just because the land that we find ourselves on is inseparable from our experience here at our Foxton. And I'm sure you guys would all agree on what we're doing here. And it means so much to all of us, you know, this beautiful landscape that we're in, the trees and its history and what it has to teach. I mean, we put a lot of emphasis on nature connection with our general practice, but I suppose also with the retreats that we run here as well. There's a lot of emphasis on connecting with the land. How long did it take me to connect? I suppose some time because before coming here, I didn't really have any particular relationship with nature, but finding myself in this kind of environment day in, day out and sort of absorbing other people's feelings as well in the community and just very slowly picking up and seeing into what nature can show you and what you can see in the changes of the seasons and what you can see in well, the way the land behaves and changes and lives and breathes. And in a lot of ways, you can take it as a reflection of your own human experience. And it's a very beautiful, humbling thing to position yourself and to see yourself as part of this grander process rather than this is just a patch of land that we're on. Or that we're using or you know that we're separate from in some way but that's my answer i feel like everybody here would well, have their own
2: one of the things that comes to mind for me and you answering that is you get contexts one aspect to the context is your name hartley yeah <laughs> so mm. you know your grandfather lived in coleridge cottage in Stowey. you know so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's one thing and then there was another when i I was telling the community, oh, we've got a guy arriving uh, next week and his name's Hartley. And one of the guys in the community here, so I said, I've only ever known one guy called Hartley and he was my artistic rival at school. I uh, I I hated him because he was better at me at art. And then lo and behold, (laughs) it's the uh, (laughs) the same guy. You know, so Dave goes, it's him. So it's kind of like, you know, it's just interesting that kind of the artistic rivalry, which is now quite a deep friendship, you know, in terms Absolutely. of and celebration. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, better than him at art. That's a very subjective
2: <laughs> perspective
3: to tell I'll you. go
1: with it, hardly. I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's probably good for him. <laughs> it's good for his practice. It's often a word that is used to describe these sort of situations, but it's very much like an ecosystem in that, especially you captured it with the change of seasons. But I found in these three weeks I've been here, People come and go, and the atmosphere changes. And then you walk up the hill up there, and it depends on the weather. And you just feel like I feel like I'm in sometimes completely different places on different days. So the land is changing so much, but also when the people change, that has a huge impact on the way you respond to what's around you. So yeah, I feel like I've had three very different weeks where yeah, I feel like a
4: very different atmospheres. Nice to live here in that change, yeah. Amazing. I think going back to being able to be caretakers of the land and share it with people, I had an experience with our local community police officer called Sue. She drove up and we were talking. She was on her own. The two Sues used to drive together. I said, oh, where's your mate? She said, oh, she's on holiday. She said, I'm going off on holiday soon. And I said, well, have you got time to come and see the tree? Because we talked about the tree before on a previous visit. And she came up. And she was just totally awestruck. And I was on the verge of tears looking at her just looking at this tree that she'd never, she'd heard about it, but to actually see it and visualise it. And she, she went up, she stroked it, she touched it, she held it, she felt it. And it was just such a beautiful experience. And I was just so glad that I'd been in a position that I could share that with her. It was just a magical moment.
0: It's really wonderful to hear these kinds of stories. And it strikes me heartily that you've given an amazing gift to the world. Mm-hmm. People are going to get to experience this place, even if they live far away. Hopefully, All of you are invited. You can come. You can come and stroke the oak tree. You can come and stand underneath and just take in its presence. Be part of this space for a day, for a few hours like me today or longer. We're going to be doing a special feature on Al Foxton and particularly the film on the Buddhist Centre Online and the new Buddhist Centre Online. And we hope you'll come and give it some of your attention and energy because it really is a sort of beautiful, I think, call to action in your life. I remember coming away from watching this film and feeling a bit changed by it and thinking, oh, that's what it is we're supposed to be doing. That's what it is. And it's easy to forget. You know, it's easy to forget in your conditions. So congratulations. Well done. And thanks to all of you for a great conversation. Thanks to you, Francesca.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And to you, Raja. Yeah, it's been really good to talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. And Julia?
3: So yeah thank you very much <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming thanks for being pulled in at the <laughs> yeah, last no minute no problem <laughs> enjoyed
0: yeah. it and of course thanks to you Hartley for just yeah the gift of your film and also the gift of your time today to talk to us about it
1: oh thank you so much it's been really enjoyable and thanks to
0: you guys as well for being part of this yeah thank you yeah so look out for more on Al Foxton and on the film and we'll see you soon for another episode of the Buddhist Centre Podcast take care of each other take care of yourself bye for now